Good morning. This is a pre-recorded broadcast of Emmanuel Anglican Church Scriptures and the Sermon for Sunday, May 17th, 2020, the sixth Sunday of Easter. Our first reading for today comes from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats." Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our second reading comes from the New Testament. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer the... For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, 
not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel appointed for today comes from John. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. John, the 14th chapter beginning at the 15th verse. Glory to you, Lord Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Come now, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come and overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words, our ears and our hearing, so that what is said and what is heard is in accordance to the word of God, for the good of God's people, and for your glory, O triune God. Show us Jesus and exalt him, we pray. In his name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to be preaching uh, from that First Peter chapter three passage, First Peter chapter three verses thirteen through twenty-two. And as we turn there this morning, we need to begin by recognizing that we're actually interrupting a line of thinking as we are breaking into a wider passage. Back in First Peter chapter three verses eight through twelve, Saint Peter has been describing what the life of a believer in Jesus, God's people, what a what plural here, right? Uh, what the lives of believers in Jesus, God's people, what those lives are to look like. In that little passage, 8 through 12, Peter calls upon God's people to live in harmony with others, fellow Christians, and even those who hurt and insult us. This gives this living in harmony with those who love us and those who hate us. This living in harmony gives witness and testimony to God. This gives witness and testimony to the gospel. This is part of being holy as God is holy. It's part of trusting God in all things for life. It's part of living honorably among non-believers so they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Now, Peter shifts then in verse 13, where we pick up for today, he's, he shifts just a bit to comment upon the reality of suffering in the light of the glorious victory of Jesus. <laughs> even when God's people live the way God desires them to live, even when God's people live in a so-called righteous way, at harmony with all people, uh, obeying God, living according to God, even when God's people live this way, there may very well be persecution, precisely because of living that way. Now, nobody really likes pain, whether we're talking about physical, emotional, or psychological pain. Nobody likes it. And, and quite frankly, any thought of suffering, any thought of pain can and does cause fear. 
We can and we do become paralyzed by fear, not wanting to do something because it may hurt, because we may suffer. We become paralyzed by fear, not wanting to be a part of something because what it may cause us to receive. This is precisely why Peter's words at various points in his first letter are difficult for us. We want to avoid suffering, but Peter all but guarantees believers in Jesus are going to suffer. Simply because believers in Jesus do not and will not share the beliefs, the values, the morals, the customs of the world around them. Believers in Jesus may suffer backlash, insults, marginalization, economic limitations, and in the course of history, even physical suffering of death. It shouldn't happen. Peter says in verse 13, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But no good deed goes unpunished, as the saying is. And sometimes when Jesus' people live in obedience to him, suffering results. When Christians live as the light of the world, that light reveals the darkness of the darkness, and the darkness, like the empire, always strikes back. This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, when he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecuted for living in obedience to Jesus, for doing good in God's eyes. What are believers to do when this happens? Well, Peter tells us in this passage from his letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22, believers in Jesus have no fear because of Jesus' victory. You see, the big idea for this passage is this. Christ has conquered all evil, and his people honor him and live with courage, even in the face of suffering. Because Christ has conquered all evil. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Now, this does not make much natural sense, does it? But let's think this through. If a believer lives in obedience to Jesus and suffers persecution for it, then the believer is blessed and should have no fear of those who persecute them. This type of persecution, suffering for righteousness' sake, is indeed a blessing, even though I know how weird that sounds. It's a blessing because, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Suffering because of Jesus is a blessing because the suffering is, on the one hand, evidence of salvation and God's favor. Hey, folks, think about this. If a person proclaims they believe in Jesus but then live like the world around them, they're not going to suffer. But if a person proclaims Jesus to be the Lord and Savior and then actually lives like it, well, then there will come a time when, in some way, at some level, that person will suffer because of it. Suffering because of Jesus is a blessing because the suffering is actually used by God to purify and strengthen faith. This is how Peter actually begins this letter. This whole letter begins in chapter 1 with this idea of suffering trials as purification of faith. In the midst of suffering, a believer always has an option. Will that believer lean into God in order to endure, or will that believer pull away from God in order to alleviate the suffering, to end the pain? Leaning into God to endure is a blessing as the believer comes to know God all the more, believe in Jesus all the more, grow in their faith. Faith is refined as silver refined by fire. Peter goes on to say here that <clears throat> to those who may suffer for Jesus, he goes on to say, have no fear of those persecutors, nor be troubled. 
Verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Don't fear those who cause your suffering, but honor Christ. In order to stand firm in our faith in Jesus Christ, even in the face of persecution for following him, we must honor Jesus as holy. We must deliberately depend upon Christ, making him set apart, sanctified, different, other than the most important part of our very being. Rather than give in to fear, we must allow Jesus to be the Lord. In a very real sense, we must actually fear Jesus more than we fear anything else. Just as in chapter 2, verse 17, Peter has said, Honor everyone but fear God. So here, Peter says, Honor only Jesus. If you think about what fear is, fear is kind of an honoring, isn't it? We recognize that that thing we fear has some level of power over us, that it can harm us, that it can master us, and then we allow that thing to dictate to us our actions, our course of behavior, what we do or we don't do. The thing we fear the most, that thing becomes, in a sense, your God, the thing that you honor, the thing that you set apart as holy. And Peter here directs our attention away from the thing that we fear, and to the one we are called to honor, to revere, to truly fear, to reverence, Jesus. <clears throat> and folks, Jesus alone is worthy to be honored as holy. Jesus alone is worthy to be feared. It's because Jesus, because of Jesus, that believers in Jesus have no fear. It's because of Jesus' complete and total conquest over evil. That is why we may have courage in the face of fear. Listen to what Peter says about Jesus in this difficult little passage, starting at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. <clears throat> and then, in verse 22, Peter says this about Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now let's say this right up front as we look at verses 18, and 20, 18 through 22. Let's say this right up front. This is a difficult little passage, not just in Peter's letter, but in the entirety of the Bible. If a theologian with the brilliance and insight of Martin Luther can say this is a strange text and certainly a more obscure passage than any other passage in the New Testament, I still do not know for sure what the Apostle means. If Martin Luther can say that, then I think it's okay for us to take our best stab at it with humility, recognizing that we could be wrong. Second, let me say this so that we don't get caught up in some of these weeds, and thus in caught up in the weeds we miss the point of Peter's statement. The reason why Jesus is worthy to be honored, the reason why Jesus is the antidote to fear in the face of suffering persecution is that Jesus, through his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, is completely victorious over all evil, past, present, and future. And so as we await the consummation of the kingdom and coming of Jesus, we await as a people whose king has already conquered and so we can honor him and have courage. 
in the face of fear. Now, with all that said, let's, let's actually look at these verses a little bit. And in verses 18 and 19, Peter is coming back to Jesus' work of redemption, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. For Christ suffered. He was crucified he, and died. He was buried, but Christ was made alive in the Spirit. He was physically raised to a new type of life, a new type of being, what St. Peter calls a heavenly body. I'm sorry, St. Paul calls a heavenly body. Through Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, those who believe in him are forgiven their sins by grace through faith. They are brought close to God. They are made truly alive with a secure promise of everlasting life through his resurrection. This is part of the argument that Peter's actually been laying since the very beginning of his letter. Then Peter goes on to include the ascension of Jesus when he writes, He went and he proclaimed. Now, this is where the trouble and the difficulty for us can begin. Where did Jesus go, and to whom did Jesus proclaim his victory? What makes most sense to me in, in my study of this passage, and in uh, my, my research and my reading, what makes most sense to me is that Peter is using a Jewish tradition as an illustration for his larger point about the completeness of Jesus' victory. Let me see if I can summarize that as best I can. Back in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, we're introduced to a man uh, named Enoch who walked with God, and then he was not, not, he was not, and then Enoch was not, for God took him. Now, in the Jewish tradition, uh, there was a, a specific tradition that grew up around Enoch because of the sparse biblical narrative about him. It was begun to, this, this story of Enoch begun, was crafted in which Enoch was taken up from earth and went to dwell up with the watchers and holy ones. These watchers were the Jewish tradition's attempt to explain the identity of the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6, verse 2. They were angels who abandoned heaven and were responsible for unleashing evil spirits and evil upon the world. And as this Jewish tradition develops, there's a book that's written. It's called First Enoch. You'll find that in the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is part of um, a, a wider uh, group of books that, that we as Anglicans do not recognize as having authority in life and faith. They may be good for us to read, but they don't have the same authority for life and faith as the 66 books of the Bible. But this book called First Enoch, these watchers, are responsible for the corruption of the earth and will continue to corrupt the earth until God's plans for history are accomplished. They remain imprisoned for all eternity and they would see the destruction of their sons because of their evil. Now Noah comes into all of this. Noah comes into all of this because God's judgment in the flood was a foreshadowing of his final judgment and Noah was saved because of his faith. All right, now what does all of this have to do, and how does this help us understand these few little verses here in Peter's letter? In referring to this tradition, this tradition of primordial and ancient evil, in referring to this tradition, Peter's proclaiming Christ's complete victory over evil, even that primordial evil of the earliest days of creation. 
Jesus, that's how, that's how complete and how full and how glorious Christ's conquest through death, resurrection, and ascension. That's how complete his conquest is. It goes all the way back to the dawn of time to destroy even that evil of the quote-unquote watchers. Jesus Christ, because of his crucifixion and resurrection, completely and totally conquers all evil ever. And Jesus, in his ascension into heaven then, proclaims that victory to even fallen angels and demonic spirits. As Jesus ascended into heaven, the crucified and risen one, he takes his seat at the right hand of God, where all things are subjected to him. Angels, authorities, powers, ancient evil beings, and present evil persecutors. Jesus is the conquering king over all evil, all evil, both spiritual and physical, forevermore. And it is because of the fullness, because of the completeness, because of the glory of his victory, this is why it is Jesus is the one who is to be feared, and not those who may insult, revile, or persecute believers because of their righteousness. You see, believers can live with no fear. Believers can live with courage in the face of evil because of Jesus' complete victory. Ultimately, believers can have no fear because Jesus is the victor. He gives his peace, and with peace comes hope and joy. These, the, the things of Jesus, peace and hope and joy, these are things that nothing in this world, not even suffering, can ever really take away. This doesn't mean that suffering is easy. No, the suffering hurts. We know this. Being persecuted hurts. Being marginalized because of your faith hurts. Being insulted because of who you believe, it hurts. It's hard, and we can't deny that it's hard, nor should we attempt to underplay it. We shouldn't just say, ah, you know, it is what it is. I do that all the time. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. We should be able to say, because of Jesus, yes, this really hurts, but Christ has conquered. Because of Jesus and his victory over evil, death, and hell, we know that our suffering, in whatever form it may take, doesn't have the last word. That's why we can ultimately have courage. We can say this lasts for just a little bit of a time. But a time is coming in which the conquering king will reign and that will last forever. So suffering and evil in whatever form it may take doesn't have the last word and neither does death. Even in the midst of our suffering, we can know that Jesus is victorious. Facing suffering and in the midst of it, rather than fear it and shrink from it, we are called to place our hope in Jesus the conqueror and suffer well by remaining in Jesus, by leaning in to Christ, by setting him apart, honoring him as holy. No fear, Peter writes. Don't fear those who persecute you for doing good, for obeying God. Rather, set Jesus apart as the one to be feared and always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Don't fear people. Don't fear suffering, says Peter. Rather, honor Christ the conqueror. 
always be prepared to explain why it is that you have a hope that is alive and not merely some sort of Pollyannish wishful thinking. Do it well. Do it with gentle and respectful words. When you're asked, why do you have this hope in the face of persecution? The response should be because Christ is conquered. Don't fear them. Fear God. Don't worry about how it's going to work out. Jesus has conquered. Trust that he will share his victory over evil with those who believe. Have no fear. Be blessed by clinging to Jesus. Answer well. Hold fast. Even when it hurts, hold fast. Now it's true. Peter's words here in 1 Peter chapter 3, they are directly connected to the context of suffering for righteousness' sake, for suffering for Christ. But I do think there is an overarching truth that can apply more generally to life, and more specifically to our enduring of this COVID-19 crisis. COVID-19 has created a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry on multiple levels. COVID-19 has created a sort of fog and this, I would say, this overwhelming amount of information just being poured out at us. And that can result, it can, it can result in paralysis, it can result in panic, it can result in fear, it can result in anxiety and worry. And while I'm taking this particular truth out of the context of Scripture, I think the particular truth still remains. Christ has conquered every form of evil. Go back to what Peter proclaims about the total victory of Christ over evil in verses 18 through 22. There, Peter proclaims Christ's complete victory over evil, even the primordial evil of the earliest days of creation. Jesus Christ, because of his crucifixion, because of his resurrection, completely and totally conquers all evil ever. And Jesus, in his ascension into heaven, proclaims that victory to even, he proclaims that victory to even the fallen angels and demonic spirits. As Jesus ascended into heaven, the crucified and risen one, he takes his seat at the right hand of God where all things are subjected to him. All things subjected to Christ. Angels, authorities, powers, ancient evil beings, present evil persecutors, and the novel coronavirus. Jesus is the conquering king over all evil, both spiritual and physical, forevermore. And that is why, precisely why, it is Jesus who is to be feared, and not those who may insult, revile, or persecute believers, and not a virus. Believers can live with no fear in the face of persecution and disease because of Jesus' complete victory. Now, that doesn't mean we'll not suffer. That doesn't mean that we won't get sick. And this certainly doesn't mean that we behave stupidly. We still wear our seatbelts. We still practice social distancing. But it does mean that ultimately we rest in the hands of the one who has defeated evil. He has forgiven us our sins. He will raise our bodies on the last day. And he, Jesus, will reign the conquering king forever and ever. And so it's true. In this life, there are many things that believers may suffer. Like Peter's first audience, persecution for righteousness may be endured. The evil of oppression, illness, marginalization, economic want because we profess Christ as Lord and Savior, there are many things that cause fear, but there is only one who gives courage and strength in the face of our fears. And that one is Jesus, the conqueror of all evil. 
So be of good courage. Trust in Christ, the crucified, risen, ascended, and returning King, the destroyer of evil. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.